Thank you. Everybody uh, get your Bibles out and your notebooks and your pens. As you know, I'm a big fan of taking notes because God speaks to you beyond things that I even say. And that's just the way it should be. As you know, we've been on this really great series uh, called In the First Place and talking about priorities for life and really learning how to put priorities in the right place at the beginning of this year. And I've really enjoyed it. It's really been a blessing to me. And so uh, I want you to turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's the fifth book of the Bible right there in the front. Turn over there, and then I'm going to pray for us. So, Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that the entrance of it would give light to our souls. Give us understanding. Give us grace to live like you want us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, our cornerstone scripture for this series has been Psalm 90, verse 12, and it says, Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to see what our days are, are like, how many of them we have left. You do realize that you have less of them today than you did yesterday. And if that's true, then you have to begin to think, how am I going to live these days? What am I going to do with these days that I have left? And the Bible says that when we begin to look at that, then we can gain a heart of wisdom. We can begin to receive wisdom from the Lord. And more than just knowledge or information, but we actually begin, now is everybody tracking with me? We can actually begin to take the knowledge we know and apply it. That's the definition of wisdom. That's the definition of being wise, is a bunch of you already know what to do, now we just have to do it. And so you really can't do that until you're willing to understand what the scriptures say and to receive God's strength and his grace in your life. And what we've learned through this series is the order is important. Turn to your neighbor and say, the order is important. The order is important. Whatever I do first, whatever you and I choose that is first, that means that's gonna affect all the rest. It's gonna affect, affect whatever comes after us, after that first thing. So whatever you choose to do first, influences all the rest. Now today, I'm going to talk about a subject that I think is really important. As you know, we've talked about, um, we've talked about life in the scripture. We've talked about a little bit about our first love and loving one another. We've talked about really setting the priorities first. You remember the the message called Big Rocks, and we had some big, big rocks up here in a jar, and then we poured in all the little, little rocks around it really trying to identify the fact that we've got to contribute our energy and our effort, our time, to the most important things in our lives. One of the most important things in our lives is our families. Our family. I want to talk to you today about family matters, all right? Family matters. And I know there are a lot of people that say things like this. Oh, we've got to have family first. Family first. Actually, the Bible doesn't even teach that. Actually, what the Bible teaches is God first in the family. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what he actually says. And so it's not, and in fact, Jesus even says, he says, if you love your family more than me, then you can't follow me. However, 
knowing that, we have to see God's design for our lives and for our families. We have to see how God created community. And all I really want to convince you of today is that there is a priority that your family needs to have in your life. Your family is a big rock that you need to build your house with first. Not a small one, not a little tiny one, not something that you can catch up with if you have time, but actually this is a real priority in your life. And it's designed that way by God. So if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, well, before we get there, why don't you look up at me one, one last time here and then we'll read. Here's the thing I need to ask you to do. When you talk about a subject like this in a church, you inevitably are treading on some difficult territory because there are so many failures in our families. The truth is, our culture is losing a sense of what family is. Divorce is, of course, rampant through our society. And we're losing what it means to live together with a group of people and share our lives. And so in a room like this with all of these people, what we will find is I'll begin to say, here's what the Bible says, and here's what God's standard is for families. And the tendency is for you to think about all your failures and the mistakes of your past. The tendency may be for you to beat yourself up. Yeah, I've really failed at this. I don't know if I can recover. What I want to ask you to do is not to do that and to let me uphold the standard, to lift the standard of what God wants for our families without condemnation, without guilt, to draw a line right here, right here in this moment in time, this Sunday, for you to receive the words of the scripture this Sunday and to look forward into what God has for you. Not to look backwards and then beat yourself up. Are you with me? You, you, you and I have to, we have to wrestle. We have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have to discuss these ideas, but we don't want to give the enemy a place to sort of fill us with condemnation and be overwhelmed by our own failures. Jesus came to take care of those failures, to forgive you of your sins, and then to give you a new life. All right, so, so today I'm going to articulate a standard, and then I want you to take this moment, and I want us to look forward into what God has for you and your family. Now, if you're single and you're here, there's no doubt that you're from a family. And so you have responsibility to, to carry. If you're a young person, if you're a, a, a teenager, or even a, a child in elementary school, you still have a responsibility here in the family. You can learn from this message if it's only that you're supposed to obey your parents. That's your responsibility. All right, but we all have responsibility in our families. And so here, here, here we have this passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Let's read it together. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Now, this is known as the Shema. Jewish culture, the most important passage it defines who they are 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's the only one. There isn't any other. And you're supposed to love him with everything, everything you got. So this, actually, people ask, what's the most often um, cited scripture or, or passage that's uh, articulated? Uh, what verse is articulated the most? Actually, this one. This one, because it's so widespread in Jewish culture. It's that Jesus actually quoted it when he was walking the earth. And it's important. He says in verse 6, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Take your little pen, underline that. Repeat them again and again to your children. I know you think you have to repeat everything to your children because they're not listening. But the Bible has another idea here. You need to repeat them again and again to your children what these ideas in the scripture are. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. This is a description of family life right here. It's a description of family life. You're going to bed, you're talking, and, and, and God is saying, I want you to talk about these ideas. When you're getting up in the morning, when you're going to bed, when you're walking, when you're, when you're going to a neighbor's house, I want you to just have these in you, and I want you to talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Sometimes I tell you guys to write a verse on a little three by five card and put it up on your mirror. That's essentially what he's doing. That's essentially what he's saying here. Make sure it's around. Make sure you can see what the scripture is saying. Make sure that it's getting inside of you. And in fact, this is what a family is supposed to do. If you think about what a family is for, what is a family for? I want to give you some ideas. It's for training. You know what happens when you just leave kids to themselves and they don't get any training? <laughs> Bad news. Actually, our prisons are full of them. Correcting. We're talking about training. Families are for training and correcting, passing on values. Think of it. Your family... When you get up, when you go to bed, when you're walking on the road, you're hanging out at the table, it's on your door frames, you're passing on values in your, in your family. You're establishing character in little hearts, in big hearts too, because how many of you know that marriage builds your character? <laughs> okay, so, so you're establishing character, you're modeling, and you're illustrating God's nature. You're modeling and illustrating God's nature to one another. That's the plan. The plan is for you to reflect God. I'm going to show you this in just a second. But the plan is for you to reflect in your family who God is. That's why it can't be family first. It's got to be God first in the family. Now, here's the deal. The family is God's first classroom for life. The family is God's first classroom for life. I want you to think about all the things you learn in a family. Number one, you learn how to fight fair. You Some people just learn how to fight. But the goal is that you learn how to fight fair. I'll never forget my wife coming 
and telling me, I came home from work and I came in the house and she comes up to me and she says, I can't believe our boys, they are so in trouble. I think they were eight and 10. And she began to explain to me and tell me the story of looking out the window and seeing them in the front yard with Zachary, our oldest, taking Taylor, second oldest, and smashing his head into the ground. She was like, something's wrong with those boys. I was like, no, they're just, I, I was raised with brothers. They're just boys, they'll be fine. I thought something bad was happening. There's no doubt that this sinful nature is in us. We want to destroy people. <laughs> Have you ever seen a little baby? You know, they grow up and, and, and they, they begin to, you know, you don't think about babies wanting to destroy people. But as soon as they start owning toys, <laughs> as soon as they start owning toys, they're going to use those to bash somebody over the head. It's wired inside of us. How do you get that out? Well, you have to learn. You have to learn through training, through correcting. You have to learn through the family how to share, how to love one another. If you look at this little list, you can, you can write it down if you want to. How do, the family is where we learn how to fight fair. How do we learn how to love and how to share with one another? How we deal with disappointment. I didn't get to go and do what I wanted to do. You first learned that as a child. Now, I know some of you are sitting here and you're thinking about your history and your dysfunctional parents. And some of you have genuine, I mean, authentic woundedness that lives with you to this day because of disappointment, because it was a, an abuse. It was a violation. I can tell you, I believe in the healing that God can provide for your heart. But what I want to tell you today is that dealing with disappointment is part of what you learn in a family, because not all the family members are perfect. We, we would never make excuses for abusive situations. And, and our American culture causes us to think of all the abusive situations first. We can't do that. We have to think of the principle first. We have to think of the standard first. Then we deal with the exceptions. Do you understand what I mean by that? All right. So the healthy family, there's disappointment in it. There's not abuse. There's not violation. But there is forgiveness that we've got to deal with when the violation does happen. Forgiveness is a big deal. Jesus made it a big deal. When he taught his disciples how to pray, he said, I want to teach you this. And he gave them the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. And then he followed it in Matthew with, if you don't forgive men their sins, then God doesn't forgive you when you sin. Now, that doesn't mean... You know, we could have a whole teaching on forgiveness here. Forgiveness is big, though, and you learn it first in a family. Serve with a good attitude. You learn how to serve people. You learn how to take care of others. You, learn, you understand. The first place you understand justice, <laughs> justice and mercy, is in a family. Yeah. I'll never forget disciplining my boys, and every once in a while, there'll come a moment, and I'll say, okay, I'm not going to give you a paddling. Do you know Why? because I want to demonstrate mercy to you. You're in big trouble. You deserve punishment. You deserve discipline. But I think you understand what you did was wrong. And so I'm going to show mercy to you. And then the, the hugs. 
Yeah. Thank you, Dad. Oh, he's so awesome. <laughs> you do realize that we don't get what we deserve yeah. as people, right? You know? It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Responding to punishment and discipline. How to respond to being disciplined with a good attitude. Learning communication and kindness. How to communicate with one another. How to be kind to one another. <laughs> Living with people you don't like. The first time we learn that is in our family. Kids and their parents. Parents and their kids. I mean, I, I love my kids. But sometimes I don't like them. And I have to learn what that is. How does that work? That matures me. I know that we all think that it is our job as parents to, to, make, to make adults out of our children. But really, it's the children that make adults out of us. So this is the role of a family, is to create the environment where these kinds of things are being learned. Now, you tell me, if you're always consumed in your job, or your boss has got you running 80 90 hours a week, you don't see the kids, you don't spend time with your wife or your husband, what's going to happen to this process in your family? Now, it's not that work's the enemy of the family, but you're going to have to establish some priorities because work so easily takes over your mind, your soul. I can tell you it's true for me. And my job is like the best job in the world, right? I've got like God's business. <laughs> Try to manage that priority with your family. You know what the Bible says about pastors and leaders? If they don't know how to manage their own family, then they cannot manage the family of God. That's, it's serious business here. The family requires prioritizing in your life because you are creating the next generation. You're an illustration to all of our culture about who God is. When you prioritize your family, other things can fall into line. Some of you might have to switch jobs. It's true. You might have to come up with something else. You might have to decide to do something else. And you might think to yourself, well, how can I? I can't do that. It's impossible. Oh, really? Maybe you just have your priorities mixed up. Because the scripture actually says in Matthew 6.33 that if you seek first the kingdom, and what we're talking about here is God's kingdom being established in your family first. Yeah. And when you seek his kingdom first, then all these other things get added to you. It's not until you seek it first that he can add them. Sometimes he's trying to talk to you and tell you, hey, your priorities are out of whack. Finally, when you do, something happens. It, everything comes into line. So if we, if we talk about the family, we have to talk about marriage, right? We have to talk about marriage? Too painful for you? Look over at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians 5, 22. All the way over into the New Testament. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, then Ephesians. Here's what verse 21 says. Right? Start at 21. It says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, hardly anybody starts this passage with that verse. But I want you to see the context of what's going on here. He's saying, look, I want you all to understand how to submit your lives to one another out of the fear of the Lord. You fear, you fear God, so I want you to submit to one another. Verse 22 says, for wives, this means 
Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Ooh, how you wish that verse was not in the Bible. But then notice what he says to the men. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds it and cares for it. I love how he uses this example because this is so men. We just, we really like ourselves a lot. We feed it, we care for our bodies. We, just as Christ, he says, he cares for you to care for it, just as Christ loves, cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So I say again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, essentially, what this passage gives us is a picture. Say picture. It's an illustration, and the illustration is, is that God says that the man is a picture of Christ. He is a Christ figure in the marriage. And what is he supposed to do as the Christ figure? He's supposed to love his wife like Christ loves us. So, so let's ask ourselves the question, how does Christ love us? Well, he came, gave up his right as God, that equality to God, he let it go, and he came and became human. He, the scripture says he became obedient even unto death. He became, some of you men, are start, the wheels are starting to turn, what? Wait, 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 What? Obedient unto death, even death on a cross, he laid down his life. He loved so much that he demonstrated it by giving everything, giving everything. When this happens is wives look to their husbands and begin to respond in that same way because the women are pictured here as the church, as God's people. How do God's people respond when Jesus lays his life down for us? We want to give our lives back to him. We want to surrender everything to him. We want to be aware of his presence in our lives. We want to do the things that, that serve him, that actually make him happy with us. Do you see how it, the picture is starting to form? I want to, I want to highlight this for you, that the, in marriage, both parties are giving up their lives and their rights. Both parties. Men, you cannot say to your wife, woman, smit. <laughs> that is not giving up your life. Jesus never forces anyone to love him. It's not even, it's not the gospel. Christianity is, is, is not defined by forcing other people to love God. That doesn't work. It's the wrong definition. But here we have this picture. So men, really, it's very, very simple. All you got to do is be like Jesus. 
Ladies, it is important, and all the, all, the difficult, all the difficulty comes into play here when we realize that your husbands are not Jesus. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> this is where all the discussion is. This is where all the marriage counseling exists, is in this picture. Well, he's, if he'd just be like Jesus, then I'd be willing to submit. <laughs> You're kind of missing the point, ladies. There is a submission to your husband that glorifies God and lays your life down for him, that demonstrates love for him, that allows God to get into him and his heart and work on him. Same thing with men to women. When you lay down your life, men, for your wives, God does something in her. And actually, Paul describes that process, making her holy, washing her with the water of the word. Something happens to a couple when they discover this, laying down their lives for each other. This is the true definition of love. So I want you to see how important marriage is the illustration of God's love for us. Marriage is supposed to be the husband and the wife illustrating how much God loves us to the rest of the world. What a sad, sad thing in the church that so many of us have suffered the effects of our marriages being broken up. It really is sad. What I want you to do today is I want you to make a commitment to love the person you're married to like Christ loves the church. I want you to make a commitment to make the marriage the centerpiece of the family. Could it be that marriage is really more about making us holy than about making us happy? I think so. There's nothing that's more challenging than living life right in front of somebody else who's this close to you. <laughs> And they see all your flaws, all the difficulties in your life. And it's, that, that is a tough thing. But I think it's God's design. God's design for family, God's design for marriage is to make us holy. So maybe you have failed in the past. It's okay. God wants you to draw the line in the sand today and look forward. And choose to live by these principles willing to give your life away, willing to surrender. Marriage is the center of the family, not the kids. As we move to the kids here now, I want you to see this. Marriage, the relationship between the husband and wife should be the center. Everything else revolves around that. Now, in our culture today, we have a lot of parental guilt because our families are screwed up or because the divorces have happened. And so we have this parental guilt and we let our kids get away with stuff. We let our kids have things they probably shouldn't have. We buy them stuff to sort of make sure they're okay because they've had such a hard time. You know, they've been through so much. I don't want to force them. I don't want to make them do the things that I know they should. And what do we create? Spoiled brats, monsters, prisoners. Marriage is about mutual maturity. <laughs> but children, when you add them to the mix, <laughs> it's a whole nother level of self-sacrifice, right? And this is where the problem lies, is somehow we want, we want to make sure the kids are okay. We want, we give all of our attention, all of our effort to the children. We begin to make them the center of our family. Make sure they have everything that, we, that, they, that they can have. All the things that you didn't have, they want to make sure that they have them. And then the marriage becomes a shell of what it once was. So let me give you three ideas 
I just want to get, I have a young marriage class, couples uh, connect group, and I, I, I talk about these three rules, right? Here's three rules for you to have a better marriage, all right? And these, these are not, uh, <laughs> these are not um, anything you haven't heard before, but I want, you to, I want you to write them down because I want you to think about how you function with your spouse. And these are simple, simple rules for marriage. Number one, do the right thing regardless of what your spouse does. That's the first idea. The idea of you becoming holy is really about you deciding, I'm going to obey the Bible no matter what he does. Or I'm going to obey the scripture and I'm going to treat her with love even though she doesn't respect me. Do you know why I know you can do this? Because Jesus said in Luke 6 that when someone comes to you and they slap you on the cheek that you can turn the other one. And when they want you to walk one mile, you can walk two. And when they demand your coat, you give them your cloak as well. He said, he said you can do that to your enemies. <laughs> if he tells us to do that to our enemies, I know you can do that for your husband. <laughs> or your wife. So do the right thing regardless of what the other person does. Be kind. Be kind. Even when you're fighting, even when you're mad, even when you're irritated, even when it's serious business. Now listen, sometimes some fights are really important. But even when you're fighting over really significant issues, be kind. Be as kind to your spouse as you are to the grocery store clerk. You know how you're in line, right? You're in line on the, and the person, she's just taking forever. Super slow. You don't just, most days, you don't berate her and, and just go off on her. Most days you're like, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine. Good, how are you doing? You're kind. You're kind. If you could just be that kind to your spouse, there's something that would happen to your relationship. Even if, you're, even if you're dealing with really important things, we don't, call, we don't want to call people names. We don't want things to get personal. We want to deal with issues, the significance of important ideas. And number three, low expectations. <laughs> now, here's what I mean by low expectations. It's not what you think. All right, you're, I just did it for shock value. The, Here's what I mean. Is there's, there, there's a certain amount of expectations that we put on our spouse that they can never fulfill. For some marriages, their, their expectations are so high, it's, it creates disappointment every day. Here's what I mean. I think there are a few non-negotiables. There are a few things in your marriage that are really worth fighting over. Fidelity. The way you raise your kids. Maybe one or two other things that are really important to you and your spouse, and you're committed to these things, those things are worth fighting over. Those things are worth having discussion and arguments over. But everything else, let it go. It's not really that important. But we let all these little things kind of get into the mix and into the relationship, and we get upset, and then we're... we're um, we're really making things personal, and we argue and we fight over this stuff that really doesn't matter. I, there is no doubt my wife and I have had two issues that we both know are, are kind of our, our burdens to carry in our marriage, all right? And, and, and so mine is punctuality. She's very punctual. I am always a little more optimistic about my, how much time I have.
So that's really bad. And she was really upset at me in our early years of marriage. I mean, she would get mad. She would ruin an entire evening. No, it's really, it's really not true. It, there was a moment, though, where she realized, I am who I am. I'm trying to be on time. I, I, I did, I've done better. I do better, and I, and I go through cycles where I'm really good, and then other times I'm, I'm not. And, and so she has decided that that's okay. She, we, don't, we don't have evenings ruined anymore. Because punctuality is a problem, no doubt. But it is not worth fighting over. Some of you are like, yes, it is. <laughs> that, leads to, that leads to the character that you have. And if you're always late, it means you don't value other people's time. And now we know what, exactly what kind of person you are. <laughs> okay, so for her, it was laundry. She just hates laundry. She hates it. We have laundry in two places in our house. One is in the clean pile. The other is in the dirty pile. She is such an incredible woman. I, I told her one day, early on in our marriage, I said, babe, I did not marry you for laundry. I did not marry you to do my laundry. That is not an important thing in our relationship. We can get somebody else to do our laundry. We can get, we can get our kids to do it. Make our kids do our laundry. Now, I know some of you are still thinking, well, if you make sure the laundry's done, then it's a character issue, and you know, you need to really work to serve the other person. Yeah, but it's laundry. What, we, what I want to challenge you to do in your marriage is identify those two or three non-negotiables and agree on those. And let everything else just be fine. You can have discussions about them, but they're not worth arguing over. They're not worth breaking the relationship over. I'm, I'm going to read one more passage and then we'll end. All right, Ephesians, so keep going. Down in this passage, if you look at, go over to chapter 6, verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. I love this. Notice how it says that. When it says obey your parents in the Lord, I love how this idea that you belong to God. You don't just belong to your parents. You belong to God, and God wants you to obey them. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. This is a big deal. It's one of the big ten. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well with you, and you will have a long life on the earth. That's a promise. Something really good about that. Verse 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from who? From the Lord. Children take our worst characteristics, our worst traits, and magnify them times 10. Have you ever seen your son or daughter do that? And they magnify your worst traits to you. Makes you so mad. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He said, don't provoke your kids to anger. Don't be so harsh and hard on them that they actually can't receive the instruction that you're giving them. 
Make sure that you see the process as letting them experience correction and training because they belong to God, not just because you're angry and you want them to stop doing it or they'll end up just like you. Some, for some people, that's a serious problem because they realize some really bad things about themselves. They want to save their children from all the things they've experienced. And it causes them to be so intense, so harsh, that they, they really lose their kids. Leaving a family legacy doesn't happen with giant leaps, but by small, consistent steps. Every day, you care for your kids. Every day, you share with them life. Do you remember the first passage we read? When you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you're at the table, when you're on the road. This is what you're required to do as a parent. Instead of being consumed at work, men come home from work and save something. Save something, save some energy, save something for your wife and for your kids. Your kids are so valuable in the kingdom. Here's the last thing I wanted to want you to see. Raising our children is the best opportunity that we have as parents in establishing God's kingdom, both in our lives and in the earth. Because disciplining your children, you learn something about yourself. You learn how to be holy because you realize where you miss it and where you, where you go over the line. So something happens by the kingdom of God in your own life as you're disciplining them, but also in their lives. And the secret, I want you to see the secret. God's plan is that our kids are the best opportunity we have to growing the kingdom on the earth. Are you tracking with me? Because look what you have with your children. You have modeling. You have connectedness. You have relational capacity. You have authority. You have control of their schedule. You know what the number one problem is with building disciples in the local church? Because we don't spend enough time together to actually get it done. Because we got schedules to keep, and we got jobs, and we got to do the, and, and our culture doesn't let us hang out together like it used to. And so it's a challenge, so we don't build disciples the way we used to. And we've got to figure that out, church. We have to figure that out as one chapel. But here's what God's plan is. The original plan was this family unit is the place where discipling happens first. The gospel is lived out first inside your family. Some of you are so busy, you got so much stuff going on, and, and you're losing your kids. You're losing their attention. Now, I'm not talking about your kids being 13 and 14. You always think you're losing them right there. <laughs> but there's something that you've got to make a priority out of because families are God's building blocks for his church and for the purpose of blessing the entire world. It's really true. If you go back to Deuteronomy, you can see this is, what, this is what he says as he finishes this passage in Deuteronomy 6. I'm just going to read it for you. I want you to listen. In the future, your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws and decrees and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? And then you must tell them, we were, Pharaoh, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. Do you see what they're doing? They're telling the story of God, the story of what happened in their family, the story that happened in their lives. Some of you parents, it's time for you to sit down with your kids and tell them the story of how you came to Christ in the real way. 
tell him everything. There's a moment when your child is a teenager, when they're old enough to know, they're, they're, they're dealing with really difficult things at school. It's time to tell them the truth about what happened to you and how God rescued you, what's going on in your life, how God works in you. Notice what he says. He says, the Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before I was dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so he could give us this land. He had sworn to give our ancestors. And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him, why? So he can continue to bless us, preserve our lives as he has done to this day. God wants to bless you. Why does he want to bless you? He wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. That's the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12. He wants to bless you so that you can bless other people. Make your family a blessing and you begin to establish his kingdom. That's why the family is so important. Make it a priority. Amen. Close your eyes. Bow your heads. I'm going to wrap up. I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you for just a moment. I won't take a lot of time here. But I want you to just ask the question, God, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do you want to do in me? How do you want to change me? How do you want to reshape me? Let him just speak to you for a moment. Do you need to pay more attention to your spouse? Do you need to make a commitment to your children? Do you need to make a decision to surrender your life? Even in the midst of something really difficult, like a marriage that's breaking apart. I know it can be complex. It can be difficult. It can, it can be, it can seem like there's no solution, but somehow God wants to breathe in you today and he wants to give you courage and give you grace. He wants you to line up with his purpose for families. So maybe you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, I really do need to change my attitude. Maybe you're here and you're realizing, I have to stop letting work consume everything in my life and give time and attention to my, my kids. Maybe you're a, a young person here in the room and you're realizing, I, I haven't honored my parents. I'm trying to get away with all kinds of stuff and I need to obey them because I belong to the Lord. Right here, every eye closed, every head bowed. If that's you, I'm not gonna call you forward. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just want you to raise your hand and say, yep, that's me, pastor. Pray for me. I gotta change. I need to change something in my marriage. I need my marriage to be rescued. I need my parenting to be godlike. I need to be rescued. Help me, Jesus. I see you all over the room. Just keep your hand up in the air, right, like that. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. This is the greatest starting point you can have, is deciding to let Jesus in and work in you. So, Father, I pray for every person in this room that you would help us to be the kind of people that could illustrate the, the greatest picture, the picture that illustrates who you are, how you love people. 
give us grace in our marriage. Help us to love deeply and surrender our lives. Help us to respect and honor one another. Help us, Lord Jesus, to obey as children to serve you by listening. Lord, I pray that you would rescue marriages here in this room, marriages that are broken, marriages that are on the verge of breaking apart, relationships that are cold and dead and lifeless. I pray for life to flood in as they embrace you, as they surrender to you. Father, in the name of Jesus, let it come. Let it happen even now, even now. In the name of Jesus, we pray.